I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Get used to the mantra, all gas, no break. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at WillPaw11 on Twitter, joined by NFL Network's own Steve Weish. Steve, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Will. I'm excited to be on, man. Appreciate you reaching out and bringing me on. Of course, of course. You're, you know, you got a, you're, I'm a big fan of your work, obviously. The Huddle and Flow podcast, you and Jim do a great job, I think, between the guests and some of the content we get, and then just uh, you know, on NFL Network as a whole. So, obviously, very excited to, to have you on. The exciting time of year for, uh, for NFL fans and for yourself, I can imagine. It really is. I mean, this is the time of year and, you know, it's funny because college football fans and NFL football fans, there's very little carryover, right? Let's say there's 20% overlap. People either like college football or like the NFL, but this is the time of year where you kind of fuse it, right? Where the college players who people follow, like, oh man, where are they going to go in their next career? And all the NFL fans like, oh, what college players are going to come be our next savior, our future quarterback, our, our next pass rusher. So it's a big time for the network. It's a great time for football fans. And it just really, you know, the NFL does a great job of never allowing itself to be out of the news. And this is a big driver of that. Yeah, it's crazy that, you know, even peak, you know, going down the stretch here in the NBA season, baseball starting big time around the world and soccer, all these different things. I'm like, I'm still just, it's NFL all day. The notifications are on the whole nine yards. So it's, it's a, it's a crazy time. And, um, you know, obviously pro day season and with, with the huge trade last week, uh, you know, San Francisco moving up, Miami moving back and then moving back up. A lot of different things um, going on. What would you make of the trade that day, <laughs> that trade as a whole um, and how it affects the Jets, you know, overall? Well, I mean, it's interesting because I was at the Brigham Young pro day for Zach Wilson. And so all everybody was there, you know, for the Jet, for the Jets, you had Robert Sala, you had Michael Floor, you had Joe Douglas, and then you had you know, for the Niners, John Lynch was there. And, and, and so like all the teams are represented, the trade comes down, like right before I'm getting ready to go on air. So I, so I do this hit, <clears throat> we talk about the trade and then I find John Lynch like going on there. And he's talking about how they call Jimmy Garoppolo. So, you know, you don't go from 12 to three unless you're drafting quarterback and they've identified clearly who they, who they want to pick. So the reason why they're going to all these pro days is in case something crazy happens at two, which I don't think it will, but just, you know, let's say Carolina just gives the Jets the farm and the Jets say, okay, great. We're going to come off the pick and and do this. But um, look, it's a big trade because 
it puts San Francisco now in the quarterback market. Even though they're saying we're keeping Jimmy Garoppolo, we're keeping Jimmy Garoppolo, if the Patriots or some team says, hey, look, we want to give you this for Jimmy, I could see them making the trade because Jimmy, you don't know if he's somebody who could handle a situation like this the way Aaron Rodgers did last year with Jordan Love, right? He's a younger player. Will he handle like how Carson Wentz handled having Jalen Hurts on the roster? So, you know, they, they really don't know that. I think Jimmy's a class guy, but I do think he'll, he'll end up being moved. In terms of the Jets, it's quarterback. Um, you know, I'll, the number two pick is going to be a quarterback, and all signals point to the Jets taking quarterback, and most likely Zach Wilson of BYU. And, and a lot of that, you know, deals with as much as they may like Sam Darnold. You look at the economics and the contract structure. If you have to go in that fifth year and that big money, it's kind of a one-year deal. And new coaches don't like to come in in that type of circumstance. It puts everybody in an awkward situation. So I think Sam Darnold will end up being moved. The big question with that. Who now really is going to make a trade for Sam Darnold? I mean, they're not going to get much for it. Um, so fourth, fifth, sixth, maybe um, round pick. And you just have to wonder who's going to do that, knowing Sam Darnold is basically on a one-year tryout deal. And it's not really fair to Sam to have to learn a system and, and show out and play great to get the big contract. So just a really awkward circumstance for him. But I do think the Jets are going to end up taking quarterback at two. Yeah, that one, the two spots for Sam, um, I think that are realistic at this point are probably Carolina if they miss out on those top three or four guys and nobody falls. Like if Justin Fields, who I don't think – I think the Niners should take three, but if he falls to eight or something, that's probably out the window. But if they miss on somebody or there's been the, the idea flowed, they would hang on to Sam and then wait for, you know, in case somebody got hurt, like a, the way, you know, Teddy Bridgewater got hurt uh, in May and then they made that trade for Sam Bradford. So, um yeah, no, the Sam's thing is really difficult. I think Denver's is another spot, maybe, potentially, if, you know, they don't love Drew Locke, which I'm not the hot biggest fan. So, yeah, and it's the Jets. Zach Wilson seems, you know, very much like the pick. How impressive was he being, you know, in person? I know the throws, you know, go viral on Twitter and things like that, but how impressive was his arm in person? Very, very. But, you know, the thing is, you know, we, we can't get – enraptured by a pro day right because the only real news of a quarterback pro day is if it doesn't go well because these things are choreographed and they're rehearsed they're supposed to go well but you know you see a young player legit six two two fifteen but you can see he's going to get bigger i mean he the dude probably doesn't even shave yet right he's just baby faced to sam darnold right you're, you're going to get another guy who looks like sam darnold if he comes to the jets coming in but he's going to put on size but just everything he had to go through this year, I mean, besides the arm, you look at Brigham Young played 12 games. Some of them were arranged. The Coastal Carolina game was arranged on two days. But here's a guy who had the prep, who had everything all ready to rock and roll. So the mental acumen, some of the things he had to go through week to week really show how he can adjust. He can play under center. He can play from the gun. They did a lot of pro system type of stuff. So he could really come in and run a lot of different schemes very well. So he was he was very impressive. and. A lot of the NFL folks who were there were really like, okay, that guy, yeah, he's the real deal. Yeah, there's they uh, now everybody <laughs> since then. I know he had that throw, he, you know, roll it out left hash and throws it opposite hash, and then Justin Fields did it yesterday. Kellen Mond did the same thing. It's interesting. Everybody saw that and was like, well, I'm going to show off my arm too. Uh, it's like a copycat <laughs> league for sure. Yeah. Um, but no, in terms of the, you know, the Jets obviously still have a ton of holes, and I know it's very easy to improve upon being two and 14 in a team that very likely could have gone 0 and 16. Um, what are you maybe a most excited about um, to see this year? And then B, where do you think the biggest hole you'd like to see them address going forward to make themselves 
take that next step other than quarterback, obviously. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm excited about the fact that they've got a great head coach. I think Robert Sala is going to be a rock star. You know, you just have to hope that in that building, he is supported properly to succeed. I mean, they've been some really good people who've come through there who've fallen on their faces just because it's it's been janky here or janky there. You hope they've learned from their lessons because they've got a good one in Sala. You know, I, I know him well. I've seen how players from those Niners teams reacted to him, right? He's going to get guys to play. He's incredibly smart. He's a processor of information on the fly, so he can really diagnose this or that. He's been through some of the off-field stuff, with some of the players that he's had, and how to handle the crisis management type of thing. So he'll be ready for a lot of things. So I'm really excited about his ability to get the Jets back on track. But again, it's going to take support from that whole organization, which we have not seen historically, to get things in order. The biggest, you know, they've got some playmakers. They've just got to get tougher on the interior. And so what you're going to see when you see, think about Joe Douglas and Robert Sala, what, what they want to do, they're going to be tough along all of those offensive and defensive lines. And if we've learned anything about the success of NFL teams, you can have all, all the skill players that you want. If you are not tough on the offensive and defensive lines, it doesn't mean anything. It does not mean a thing. Look what happened to the Chiefs in the Super Bowl when they were banged up on the offensive line. They got steamrolled. Look at a team like the Falcons. It's got more shiny cars on the edges and a quarterback than anybody in the NFL, but because our offensive line is so-so is and their D-line gets road-graded every game, they are where they are. So, you know, that's where I think the Jets are really going to try to fortify things once they get that quarterback in the draft. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just going to bring up the Chiefs. It's like that's the number one example for – oh, why are we taking offensive linemen here? I want this receiver. Like, even, you know, I love Kyle Pitts. He tested out there. I mean, his arm, his wingspan's longer than Mekhi Becton for perspective, which is ridiculous, right? But at the same time, as flashy as that is, if you can't protect whoever's playing quarterback, it doesn't really matter. I mean, Patrick Mahomes says Travis Kelsey and was running for his life all Super Bowl. And, you know, the Falcons is another great example of, you know, what they may do at four uh, is really, you know, I would still maybe take a tackle, even if Matt Ryan's older, but, um, it's just interesting. There, there will be a quarterback yeah. taken at four. You just don't know if it's going to be the Falcons. You don't know if it's going to be Atlanta or not. Yeah, weird. exactly. As much as the cap hit stuff is weird, at the cap's kind of a faint as an imagination of <laughs> today's game with these elongated, uh, voided contracts and things like that. But, you know, I'm super excited to watch that. I also think it's important that, and you know this better than me, obviously, having a relationship with them, but these guys that are huge personalities that seem like, you know, Richard Sherman's not somebody that's just easy to get the respect of or, um, you know, an Earl Thomas or Cam Chancellor, all these type of guys that he's had, big personalities, Michael, the Michael Benz of the world. And if you're going to be around these guys, you learn how to deal with big personalities and be in a market where you're the adult in the room. And it's not a, I don't have to go down the whole Adam Gase route, but I do think being a grown up, and especially in New York, where you can just feel like, I'm, I'm like, you have that presence. I just think that's so important. That's something that unfortunately Jets have, gone back and forth on and if you can be that adult in the room you really make a difference and I think you can take them to that that's what Bill Parcells was in my mind at least in the Jets perspective he walked in he's like I'm going to control the room and this culture is going to change because I want it to yeah I mean look and that's what Salah does with his players I mean one he's a great listener right he'll listen to the advice from his assistant coaches and and general managers and so he'll take that and he'll apply that in certain ways he's just open to hear voices of everything and look, the criticism is going to sting anybody. We know that market is very tough. Uh, the Jets are a punching bag in the organization right now for the media. So, you know, he's going to have to absorb it. You know, the dude looks like 
you know, a superhero anyway. I mean, he's built like. <laughs> I, I don't want to work out with him. <laughs> I mean, he's he's jacked. He's put together. He's like really lean in person, but you see him, he's really jacked. But again, he's so cerebral. And like you said, the presence, the first time I met him, right, when he was announced his first DC job with the Niners, I was there at the news conference. And he's just standing up there. And, and I feel like I'm just being educated with everything he says. I'm like, man, this dude's got something to him. So I walked out into the hall with him. I introduced myself. We talked for 15 minutes. And I was like, man, this dude's got some stuff to him. Like, you can tell if they have some success and he continues to mature, he's going to be something special. And of course, he reached that, that point. So, you know, as much as we saw the, the strong dude on the sidelines and things like that on the game day, he's not that guy. I mean, every time you talk to him, you think you're going to be talking to like a collegiate professor who's got all of this panache that goes along with him. And so, you know, people are going to be impressed with him. But, you know, if you don't get those W's, like I said, you better absorb those body blows because they're coming. Yeah, no, it's interesting. My favorite two clips of Salah are, there was a, they're playing in the rain. I believe they're playing the Rams. And someone made a stop on third down. And you see him sprint down the sideline, like jump over somebody. He's on the field. And everyone's like, dude, bro, calm down. But it's, uh, it's pretty funny to watch. And then, um, you know, I, like I said, you know, even guys like Todd Bowles, it's interesting to watch. And I think he's, they're different people, but that defensive mind, that adult in the room, I just, I hope Salah wins here because I think people look at Todd Bowles and it's, oh, he wasn't successful here, but the first year, if they make the playoffs, but I know we're revisionist history and whatever, but if they make the playoffs, you're thinking differently and like how good of a job he's done in that DC role. And everyone I've spoken to that knows Todd Bowles is like, if he wins here, he, people would have just gone over the moon for him. So I hope for Salah's sake, that can happen. Organizational support. Again, you talk to Todd Bowles, he's like, look, he was naive about a lot of things and how that building worked. So that's that's why I'm hoping, because they the, the Jets have a lot of things just in their own house, so to speak, to kind of fix and get streamlined for anybody to have success there. But they've got the potential to do it. I know I don't want to touch too much. I don't want to touch any of the Deshaun Watson stuff. I just the one question I have is do you think if we go back a month ago or three weeks, obviously before all this stuff happened? Do you think there was a realistic chance because that the Jets were A, involved, and B, could have gotten them at that time? Again, I don't want to touch any of the legal stuff because I don't have enough information. A, yes, and B, yes. Absolutely. You know, and look, Carolina was – Carolina that's, that's really – punch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they – no, they really want – I mean, that's that's the thing now. Now, that's that's the, the, the monkey – that's something that could throw a complete monkey wrench into this whole draft process. Again, I don't know what's going on, but let's just say as of tomorrow, all of these civil charges get dismissed because there's no merit to it, right? Let's just, again, and I'm not trying to wash over any of this. I'm just throwing out a complete hypothetical here. But he's someone who's all of a sudden cleared and available for a trade. Some team's going to come get him. Some team is going to come get him. That takes another team out of the quarterback market. So, again, that's where the whole Sam Darnold thing gets absolutely crazy. So, we'll see. You know, again, two weeks ago, you know, there's not a person in the league who didn't believe that Sean Watson wasn't going to get traded before the draft. Now, just too tough of a sell, even though we don't know what's really going on. Too tough of a sell to an owner, to a market, um, to anything else, right? you know, to, to make a move anytime soon. I know. It's, and the crazy part is if, if theoretically, if everything is, you know, obviously, hopefully nothing happened for the sake of everybody involved. But. You know, his market value even still would be diminished. The Texans almost really 
miss. I mean, I don't know what's involved, but may have misplayed their hand because I don't know that they're getting four ones now for Deshaun or something like that. But that's a whole nother topic. Obviously, we'll have to see how that plays out. But, you know, the Jets obviously made a couple moves. We'll finish up with the Jets stuff here. I uh, made a couple moves in free agency. Is there one you like specifically best of some of the, you know, maybe some low term? There were some low risk deals. There were some a little higher risk deals. Do you like one specifically that stood out to you? It's it's just hard. It's just really hard to tell. I don't know why I'm blanking. They they signed someone on the defensive front, and I and I'm blanking, blanking right now. Lawson. Yeah. yeah. Now now that's somebody who look at what Robert Sala does. <clears throat> Right, they make their money. He is a believer in get it done with the front four, blitz occasionally, and keep the pressure off the secondary. Right, you're not going to see them get a bunch of splashy guys in the secondary because it's all about front seven play. You're going to have linebackers who can pursue, keep everything in front of them, cover, and be physical at the same time. They great linebacker evaluation here, right? So his linebackers are always going to be great, and then the guys off the edge with an interior player. Um, Carl Lawson should thrive. Now they still have a ways to go to continue to get that front seven as complete as maybe they want it. But I mean, you just look at the history of where Robert Sala has been. You talked about Michael Bennett. You talked about Cliff Averill in Seattle. It's part of that whole Dan Quinn, Gus Bradley type of scheme with some tweaks. That was a hell of a staff, by the way. We like, I feel like people don't think about it. <laughs> Chris Richard was on that staff. Um, but, you know, you look at what Sala did, you know, with the Niners. You know, even though D Ford's been hurt, you know, you've got you've got Bosa, you've got players, Eric Armstead, when they had to play him a little bit outside more of that five technique, just just it really developed into a great player. So, you know, it's a shame that Salah couldn't bring Chris, Chris Kusarek, the D-line coach with him, because he's the best in the game. But Salah's brilliant, man. I've sat down and watched, you know, some tape with that guy, and he's <laughs> he doesn't miss a thing. So um I think Carl Lawson has a really good opportunity and it, you know. You know, and it's funny just because where he played before, no one really talked about him. And, and now he's someone who could really become a household name. Yeah, no, 100%. Carlson's exciting. And I think some, even his quotes just coming over, um, he's already like, feel like he's ingratiated himself properly with the media in, in New York in terms of just like, he gave push That's a short honeymoon period, brother. He gave Rich Samini pushback on day one. And I was like, oh, God, this, is gonna, <laughs> this could get ugly <laughs> if they start playing badly. But, um, the AFC East as a whole, I think, is really exciting. Um, obviously, Patriots spent a boatload of money, more so than – I mean, I thought they'd be aggressive, but I didn't think to that extent. Uh, Miami is obviously somebody that's in a great position draft pick-wise, and Brian, Brian Flores is an exceptional coach. You know, by the way, if you want a, an indictment of Adam Gase, they stripped that whole roster down, and Brian Flores made them better within a month. Um, and then, obviously, Buffalo was, a, you know, a half away from making the Super Bowl. So – how do you see that? Like, do you think the division's going to be, is it Buffalo's to win and basically everyone else is playing catch up or do you see a little bit of competition from the other three teams? No, there's going to be competition um, without a doubt, but it's Buffalo's to lose. I mean, them adding Emmanuel Sanders in the slot just really opens things up. I mean, they re-sign their own guys, retaining Matt Milano, you know, who's a good linebacker, cover linebacker, can really come up and play the run, good chase guy fits what they want to do, but then getting a vet like Emmanuel Sanders, that's the one thing that they didn't have in that receiving group. Even though Cole Beasley's been in the league for a year, he's not that dude like Emmanuel Sanders who's played in two Super Bowls, who can who can help guys get through certain situations. So, and Josh Allen, his, his ascent, um, and the fact that they kept their coaching staff together, you know, that's probably not what they wanted. Leslie Frazier and Brian Dayball probably were hoping to get head coaching jobs, but now that you've got that continuity, that, that should help 
Josh Allen to continue to get better. And if Zach Moss, the running back, can stay healthy. I mean, he's he's a heck of a talent to really pair with Devin Singletary. Patriots are interesting to me. Um, they got some pieces, and we know the Patriots are all about some of the parts. Um, but unless they get the quarterback, unless Cam comes back and plays well, or if it's Jimmy Garoppolo or, or whomever, I mean, that's that's the piece. I mean, the tight end work they did, I mean, Johnny Smith, Jesus Christ. I mean, then Hunter Henry, that's dangerous. I mean, that's going to make teams change their defensive philosophies a little bit. And that's where a guy like Sala is going to be really good. I mean, you know, you look at some of the teams that they had to play. The Rams did a lot of interior stuff, slot, tight end type of guys. They had linebackers who could cover. They didn't have to mix up. They didn't have to play necessarily a lot of dime. Or, or a mixture of variant of nickels in there because he had linebackers who could cover like a Dre Greenlaw or Fred Warner, which really helped what they like to do. But none of that works unless you get pressure. So I, I really like this division. And, you know, it's it's the telltale season for a lot of people if, if Tua is going to be the guy. But I think Tua is going to really take a significant chunk. Because, remember, he spent all last season rehabbing, working as the scout team quarterback. And then all of a sudden he gets thrust into the starting role. <clears throat> They've got no weapons other than their tight ends. I mean, they had no game breakers down there. So the fact that they're going to get them some game breakers, I think they're going to end up with Jamar Chase or Pitts um, with their first round pick. And then, you know, some other, some other players to get them, you know, some points on the board. I think that should help, help things out too. So it's going to be an interesting division. Um, and the Jets are still, you know, they've got, they've got the biggest ground to cover. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, no, I know. It's unfortunate, but at the same time, I think it's good for the division as a whole. Um, you know, I look at Miami and they're really well coached. I think last year, I mean, I'm not as high as you on Tua, but I also understand Chan Gailey probably was not the best offensive coordinator for Tua last year. The Fitz thing, Fitz is him, his own animal and I get all that stuff, but sometimes with young quarterbacks, I feel like when you have a guy that thinks they can still like really play, not just like oh, you know, I still competitively want to be a starter. It's difficult. And then New England's t- – I just don't – is Cam – I can't tell if Cam is – his arm is going to last like – his body's going to last 16 games. That's why – my only thing is I really, really don't want to see uh, Justin Fields or Trey Lance go to New England biasly because I think those guys athletically and the talent they have with a lot of those weapons can be pretty scary. Um, so, and then, yeah, Buffalo's re- I, Buffalo's really good. They're so well built. They go through the draft, but also sign those middle tier guys and then trade it for one. Like that's as a Jets fan, uh, you know, biasly, I'm like, wow, we could have had that with Sam where we give him that number one guy. We build up the offensive line, give him a good play call. It's tough. The division's tough as a whole. Yeah. I mean, look, the Bills did a fantastic job. It was a process, but they got the quarterback. And that's not to say like, you know, it's not, we don't know what Sam Darnold is. He's been hurt. He's been sick. And he hasn't had a supporting cast. It's been absolute mayhem. Um, that's not the case with the Bills. They've got a great coaching staff, the continuity, and they just they stuck to a process, you know, something that the Jets just could not figure out. 
it's it's almost funny at this point you kind of have to just laugh to yourself a little bit because it's like I, the only way to mask the tears yeah, it's the only way to mask the, the anger and the tears but um you know i'll get kind of put you on the spot who's the one it could be a trade or um free agent move that's happened so far um who's a the one move you're like wow i really really like this move you know for me it's stafford i've said this before i think stafford the rams is a home run for them um and then one move you were like that is confusing to say the least uh for me that was i didn't love matt judon of the patriots i said this before it's not that i don't think matt judon's a good player i just don't know that he makes him that much better and it's a lot of money to pay a guy that a lot of his sacks were against bottom tier teams last year so one guy he's, really a, good, he's a good player man. Well, this will, yeah. <laughs> i mean just think you know look, again the patriots are some of their parts right you know willie mcginnis is a guy if he was in a certain on a certain team he could have been one of the all-time sack leaders in the nfl but because he was some of the parts he did a he had a great career with the patriots but he wasn't you know he wasn't you know a, a Jared Allen type of guy, you know, putting up those types of numbers. So, um, but no, the move I really like is a more subtle move. I'm not a splash guy, right? I'm, I love subtle moves that really address a need at this time of year. And I think John Johnson, the safety from the Rams going to the Browns, I, I think that was a great signing, right? He's somebody who's always around the ball. He's a big hitter. He could probably have more picks because he's always in great coverage position, always. Um, he's not known as a burner, but his instinct, his instinct and his acumen allow him to be in great position. And I think that's really going to help out a defense that can put pressure on the quarterback. That's got some linebackers who can play. I think he's a nice addition and them getting his fellow Rams teammate, Troy Hill, who can play in the slot, play outside. I mean, that dude's a fantasy football stat machine. When you look at what he did, he had three defensive scores last year, three picks, forced fumble. You know, the number of tackles he made from inside and outside. So I, I really like those two moves for a Browns team that I think Baker Mayfield shows the potential in the system. I, I think they could really be a good team this year. You know, I, when it comes to head scratchers, I, I, I really can't think of one off the top of my head where I'm like, why did they give – this guy, this much money or something like that. I, I just haven't really done that. I mean, it's, I like him a lot, but it was weird to let Carl Lawson walk. Who's like an in-house guy you've grown and then pay the same money to him. I just, that was more like, it's not that Trey, anything against Trey Hendrickson it was more, I didn't understand. Like you had a guy in house that you was really productive. Why not just keep him there and, uh, maybe he didn't want to stay though. There's also that possibility. Well, there's that, but if you pay him the money, he'll stay. Hey man, those dollar bills could give you a nice little ego soother. Um, but yeah, Trey Henderson, I like that deal. A lot of people are like, well, you know, he's a one-year starter, this and that. Well, you know, they were trying to get Marcus Davenport to be the starter where they mortgaged, you know, the farm for down in New Orleans. And all of a sudden here comes a dude who just got energy. <laughs> the no gloves. The aesthetics are probably the issue for everybody of uh, no gloves and stuff. That dude's a good player, man. I, I like him. I, you know, we, he's just going to kind of football Siberia where Carl Lawson is leaving. So he's probably like, okay, good. Now people can know my name. No, it's just, it's funny. No, I, the interesting one that you brought up was John Johnson, because I think he's as good as it gets at the position. Um, and I, I just, I guess maybe it was like a head scratcher was I wouldn't have Troy Hill and John Johnson felt more important to me to that defense than Leonard Floyd did. I know Leonard Floyd had a bunch of sacks and stuff like that, but I feel like if anyone who plays around Aaron Donald can really 
thrive. I think it's just the guy is so good at football that your entire attention is don't let him ruin the game. Similar to how, you know, JJ Watt during that four to five year stretch, just, it was like everybody around him thrived because people, you're trying to block him with five, six dudes. So I would have tried to keep him in house. Um, I just think that was such a key to that defense, the flexibility to let Jalen Ramsey be on an Island. And then John Johnson cover up so much space just makes you so much better. They had, they have so much depth there. That's why they did it. You know, they've got Taylor Rapp, but they drafted in the second round a couple of years ago, <clears throat> excuse me, who can, who can come into that position. And we saw last year, the Rams are so great in the middle rounds because they never have any first round draft picks um, at finding depth at these positions. They've got so much corner and safety depth that unfortunately for them, John Johnson was the guy that had to be let go because of their cap situation and Leonard Floyd, because of the scheme and playing with Aaron Donald, I, you know, I always thought that he was just a nice piece of furniture in a room, so to speak, based on what he did with the bears. But man, last year he really played well. And they've got another dude, Terrell Lewis uh, out of Alabama, who's the same physical specs, like six, six, two sixty five, built like Usain Bolt, right. Can just got all the athletic specs of Floyd is probably going to emerge as a starter on the other side. Really, really do things. But losing Michael Brockers is huge, bro. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a, a big loss. You weld Thor's hammer. That was probably the best quarter of the offseason. Of, 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 of the year. year. Um, but, yeah, no, speaking of um, kind of wanted to go down, um, speaking of the Rams, I guess, and the Lions, who both kind of were involved in this, um, obviously there's been a – you know, the Rooney rule has been talked about all off season. And I know there's going to be the changes with potentially, you know, moving the coaching search back, which I think should help a little bit. I don't know how much, um, but how do you, A, I guess it's, there's not a one, it's not one problem to solve, but how do you fix or tr attempt to continue to fix the lack of diversity, especially I feel like in my opinion, on the offense, offensive side of the ball, a guy like a Byron Leftwich or, you know, a Deuce Staley who forever, I feel like has been getting interviews, but never gets her, the enemy and people like that. How do you fix that lack of, um, quite frankly, black head coaches from the offensive side of the ball? I know defensively sometimes you'll see it, but is there one specific way to fix it, or is it a lot of different things that need to come together for the NFL as a whole? Look, the NFL itself has, has done everything I think possible, be it the Rooney Rule, be it, you know, saying so you got to interview multiple candidates of color from outside organizations and and trying to introduce people through some of their, their databases of interviews, right? That's how Brad Holmes got hired as a GM in Detroit. They didn't know who he was, but someone there was like, I remember in this archived database, seeing an interview with this guy, Brad Holmes, who was fantastic. Well, Brad Holmes has a couple of interviews. He blew the Falcons away, right? But they hired Terry Fontenot from the Saints. Lions see him. They're like, yo, let's talk to this guy. And he comes out. He's exactly what they want. In terms of coaches, it to me, it's more of, Convincing these owners, I mean, I, I don't know. It's more of a mindset. And also some of these teams use search firms. Well, these search firms don't have any people of color, you know, <laughs> getting involved in the process. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's real heartbreaking. It's frustrating. You know, you know my, my colleague on the Huddle Flow podcast, Jim Trotter, talks about it all the time. You can do all the rule changes you want, but if you can't change the mindset of some of these owners, then it's, then it's a moot point, you know? And, and so this is where maybe if there's some change in ownership uh, in a couple of years, like we saw the NBA, you know, once, once Mark Cuban kind of came in the NBA, it was kind of this young maverick. I'm not doing the things the way that the way things 
have been done before. That's probably going to, uh, to, to start some of the change because I just don't know if, if a whole lot of these owners, as great as they saw what Todd Bowles did, and they know we've got, he's got head coaching experience, they're going to hold that against him because he didn't succeed in New York, or they're going to say, okay, we're going to give him a shot. Or wait, there's a great young prospect coming up from the University of Miami or from Brigham Young and a guy like this. We're going to bring them up. You know, speaking of coaches of color, what about a guy like, you know, um, Sataki, Coach Sataki at Brigham Young, some of these Polynesian coaches who are coming up, the coach at Navy. You know, a lot of the principles that are being applied, at, you know, in the NFL now are coming from programs like that. So if you got a Kalani Sataki doing certain things at BYU or whatever, go into some of these college ranks as well and at least get some philosophies and some people who are coaching. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's changing minds. It's not changing rules that's going to make it happen. Yeah, no, I actually – I know this maybe sounds stupid, but it's like talking to both sides of my mouth, but I didn't love the rule to like incentivize teams to hire my no. coaches because no. I actually think you're now putting like a scarlet letter, like, oh, this guy got hired because he's a minority, which is the total opposite of what you're trying to accomplish. I know it's- That happens anyway, regardless. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it was one of those weird things that I feel like I was like, it makes, I just feel like you're doing both a disservice to those candidates almost at some level. Well, the service to the candidates and, you know, it looks like a bribe, man. You know, it's, it's, yeah, that's why, that's why it, it landed like a lump of coal. <laughs> Who could have saw that one coming, but I was kind of curious, um, you know, obviously you've had, you've been in the business for a long time. Who are some of, you know, we talked about Salah before, but who are some of the people that you've really enjoyed covering the most or it's the most fun interview you've been able to do or just watch? Oh, it I know you don't have to name one. You can name a couple because I know it's a uh, get political. <laughs> No, I mean, back in the days with, you know, when I was with the Dolphins, Jimmy Johnson and, and Brian Cox, I mean, those, Jesus Christ, those dudes. Jets fans are like the Brian Cox. Brian Cox is a beast, the neck roll <laughs> and the whole nine yards. But he was, that's nothing compared to the interviews he provided. I mean, good Lord, he was, he was amazing. When I covered the NBA, Gilbert Arenas was a treat. <laughs> I mean, he was, he was wonderful. Um, and, you know, I, I, you know, Richard Sherman, absolutely is one of my favorites. He's one of the smartest guys. Um, I've spoken with and, you know, one of my favorites is Troy Polamalu because, you know, he's a guy you don't hear much from, but when you do, my God, it's just this cornucopia of like depth and, and, and real, he's coming from a completely different place. Um, so I really like talking to him, you know, good coaches, boy, there's, there's just, you know, there's, there's so many, let's go, let's go current, current coach, you know, Mike Zimmer. Just because, you know, you can't use nine-tenths of the interview because there's F-bombs all the way through it. Bruce Arians is Bruce Arians is a gift. <laughs> you know, so. I love every time when he talks about, uh, you know, he'll be like, I'm just going to go have a drink. Like, don't talk to me. And it's just like, he's being, he's just himself. Like, if you like yeah. it, you can leave it. Yeah, he's, 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 he is, he is a treat. He's the gift that keeps on giving. No, it's interesting because Lindsey Rhodes mentioned Troy Palomalu also on the podcast as somebody that, like this total different mannerism of on the field, like an absolute killer. And then you talk to him and he's like, Oh, I, I was sculpting this off, you know, for my wife or I'm, I'm X, Y, and Z, this thing I was reading. And it's like, Whoa, <laughs> this guy is Indeed. killing people on Sundays and Monday through Saturday is just mild mannered dude. I love it. I look forward to hearing uh, him at the hall of fame when he gets enshrined this fall very, this summer excited. i should say i'm very excited but you know i think there's it's super interesting one other, one other thing i wanted to ask you about is obviously the qb market last year from like a money perspective and these extensions kind of you know Mahomes obviously kind of broke 
<laughs> broke the uh, NFL contract spectrum and things like that. How do you see the next couple of extensions coming up, a Baker, a Lamar, Josh Allen, guys that have all had success? Um, obviously, Sam and the Josh Rosens and stuff, not so much at this point. Josh Rosen never will. But um, how do you see those kind of playing out? Do you see them trying to reset the market, or do you see teams being like, restructuring deals differently because of the cap obviously decreased and then we'll jump back up again. How do you see that all playing out? It's, it's going to spike. I mean, think about the NBA, what, four or five years ago when they got all the TV money. And I mean, you had dudes making 36, $37 million a year. Like it was nothing. I mean, so it's going to spike. I mean, look for quarterbacks. Everyone loved that Dak Prescott 40 million a year average. Now he's not going to see 40 million a year, uh, but he's going to see, you know, 35, 36 million of it. So Josh Allen and Lamar, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson are like, okay, great. I mean, this is fantastic. And then if you have some of these younger quarterbacks, you know, who, who, who we're, we're seeing come up on the horizon, they're like, great. So the contract's going to continue to go up. It's just a matter of how long are these owners going to continue to tilt them towards the quarterback? Because that's the big reason why you get the rookie now. It's probably why the big reasons why the top four picks are going to be rookies is because you can build a roster around a five-year rookie deal much greater than you can around a four-year, $40 million a year deal, even with the cap going up, because that means edge rusher is going to go up. Some of the key positions like wide receiver and left tackle are going to go up. So, look, the money is going to keep growing as long as the NFL continues to be a cash cow. So the cap's going to go up, players are going to go up. Just what it is. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's like that whole uh, concept of are you paying the right guy or, you know, there's obviously the Wentz deals and – off and all these guys I feel like may have scared teams initially maybe for this offseason but then you know the Cowboys for the longest time we're not going to pay Dak we're not going to pay Dak and then boom four years 160 million you know um, on the eve of that money so I thought that was it's still a reasonable deal if you think that Dak's the guy which I think he's very good I don't know that he'll ever be a top three guy but he doesn't have I don't think he has to be for them to be successful be a reasonable deal because when the cap goes up two years from now, it's going to look like, okay, we got, we got him at the right time. I mean, it's, it's what the Packers are seeing about Aaron Rodgers and and guys like that. And the way they're structured. Yeah. And then the way they're structured, you can always redo them to give you cap space. Like we've seen so many teams do this year, you know, Matt Ryan, those guys getting their deals redone to give cap space. So the cap is, it's not my money. It's not my money. Spend whatever I, you know, um, so I'm, I mean, I guess technically I help the Jets pay people with my season tickets, but uh, no, it's interesting. Even like that's why the salary cap is so interesting to me. And in some senses, it's interesting. In some senses, it's frustrating because like the Jets signed Carl Lawson and the next day can restructure his deal to create cap space. It's like he hasn't even played it down yet. And all of a sudden you're redoing a deal. It's kind of crazy to think about um, you know, how some of that stuff happens. I know Rodgers and Wilson, those guys will be up for either up for new deals or trying to restructure, which would be another whole uh, another whole ball game. Well, you well, the best, best contract, contract, real quick, was, was the Taysom Hill deal where they put like four avoidable years so it averages $40 million a year. That thing, that came through on my phone, and I got three texts within maybe two minutes. Everyone's like, holy shit. They just gave him $140 million. They gave him the DAC contract, and I was like, let me let me look at this real quick. And it was like, voidable. It's a one-year $12 million deal. <laughs> At least he can tell his kids he signed for four years, 140 million. Right. <laughs> um, no, but it's interesting to see a lot of those deals. And the last one, last question I wanted to ask you about was obviously we talked a little bit to Sean realistically. Did you feel like, how did you feel about when the Russell Wilson stuff? Did you ever feel like there was a chance there or was that more of just Russ trying to 
maybe get some more power in the organization and contract wise? I never felt that he was going to get moved this year. Um, but there, there clearly is something going on there. And, you know, we'll see after the season. The one thing that, that happens historically with the organization is you've got this flashpoint and then they, the player plays a year and then he's gone. I mean, you saw it with Michael Bennett. You saw it with Richard Sherman. You saw it with Earl Thomas. Um, you saw Marshawn Lynch. So we'll see if it happens with Russell Wilson. He plays, he plays a premier position, but this is what teams like the Eagles and the Dolphins have done with all of their accumulation of picks as to where if they get to a point like this next year, let's say Tua doesn't work out or Jalen Hurts doesn't work out, whatever. Now they've got capital to send away to these teams pre-draft or if Deshaun Watson's on the trade market next year. They've got capital to do that. So with Seattle, I think it's interesting. I think when we come back later in the summer, Russell's going to be ah, all overblown. You know, you, I think people misinterpreted things. Yeah, you know, I want to be, I want to be protected better. I want to do some things like this. But, you know, they made some adjustments, and we're, we're all good. It's all good. Go Hawks. And then next, next offseason, things go haywire. We'll see. Uh, it'll, be, uh, it'll be interesting. But, obviously, we really appreciate you joining us. And make sure you follow the Huddle and Flow podcast. I'm not just saying this. I said this when Jim's on, too. It's genuinely a great podcast because there's a lot of topics that you'd be able to get covered in depth. And the guest list has been fantastic obviously and listen to you guys as well um so you know make sure you follow steve on instagram and twitter steve or i think it's white 89 on twitter as well um and instagram and, and it's a lot of great content and uh yeah we appreciate you having you we appreciate having you on will thanks for having me